would really like to see more people um, have a really good sense of self and really deeply believe in themselves, which is a lot of the stuff that I talk about in my book. Welcome to the Story Acceleration Podcast, which is conversations with thought leaders about the challenges that push us forward if we let them. Today, I'm delighted to speak with Laura Di Benedetto. Laura is a successful entrepreneur, TEDx speaker, and the author of the wonderful book, The Six Habits. Laura, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for chasing me down and insisting that I be on your show. <laughs> I got to read the book, actually listen to the book. And so let me start off by saying, great job. It's not easy to finish a book. And I really enjoyed this one. Awesome. So, well, I mean, qualifying it just by virtue of it's not easy to finish a book and you finished mine. I'm thrilled because I agree. <laughs> I, I mean that as an author. I mean, it's hard to write a book and get it out there. It was not hard to finish oh, reading, yeah. listening to your book. Um, and you narrated it too. It's awesome yes. job on that. You have a wonderful voice. You Not only Thank is you. your voice great, you you used fantastic dynamics. Like you you weren't too overly enthusiastic all the time, and yet I didn't get bored. That's actually an art in and of itself. So kudos to you. Hold on. on. Patting myself on the back. Thank you so much. I will take the win. I'm excited. I love positive feedback. Thank you. People read the book and, you know, most of the time don't leave a review or even say anything. You know, they just like listen to me on a show and I don't always get to hear it. It's nice. Positive feedback is like missing from society. So thank you. I agree with that. I think you have to be intentional about that. Otherwise, it just kind of drifts away. Um, but you did. You did a fantastic job. And I, I love listening to authors read um their own work because you get to really hear their intended tone and right? i just think that's great so and and i don't i don't quite understand the authors that sort of outsource that to other people because i think it's a missed opportunity but i think it's because you get tongue-tied uh when i recorded the book i definitely got tongue-tied a few times and then i got just exhausted and um i don't know i've, I've done voiceover work for years just as part of the marketing company that I own, uh, near where you live actually. And, um, yeah, I've just had to do voiceovers for people. So I kind of had a sense of what was entailed. Then I sat down to actually record it. I was like, I was way off. Okay. Were you in a, were you in a studio or do you do it at home or? Oh no, this was mid pandemic when everybody was hiding oh, in their yes. personal bunkers of their living rooms. <laughs> yes. Well, good job. Cause it's technically wonderful too. Thank you. Yeah, I actually hired a really nice um, uh, production house out of Boston. They did Mel Robbins books, and um, they helped me to get the right tech, um, this incredibly expensive microphone, um, and you know, just make sure I had all the site, the settings dialed in, and everything. So then, when it was time to produce, they got rid of all the like the hisses and the pops and like the background noise and all that other stuff. So it was hopefully as tight as could be. So. It's yeah. not a small amount of work. We we, no. we are audio engineers and video engineers here, but we still, I'm like, oh my gosh, we have to do all this now. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I, I know. It. Well, I'm actually producing my own podcast and I'm still working on getting my you know first eight together before I actually launch it. Oh my God, going through, never mind like the audio quality, just going through and sorting through something that you can't actually see. You've got like this clip bin of all these different things and trying to put it together. And you're like, well, is this again? You got to go back and listen. Oh my God, it's so hard. <laughs> and you know, it's, you got to fight that perfectionism and just like get it out there, which is not easy. Yep. 
Yep. There were definitely parts of the audio recording where um, I was like, you know, this isn't perfect and ship it because no one except me is going to notice this, um, you know? And, oh, I think the other thing that was interesting is I had to um, go through the book and make some edits verbally on the fly. So instead of as you're reading this, it's as you're listening to this and, and mm. just like little automatic edits that I had to make. I was like, look at me. My brain is working at full capacity. Smoke is coming out of my ears. <laughs> that's, that's yeah, that I, I know it well. I, I was I was my own engineer on audio uh, recording the voice, the, the, uh, the narration for my book. And I just had to stop and go back and do it again and make sure there's no pops and hisses or whatever. So being the I'm, own, I'm being happy your own sound done. engineer. Oh my God. I can't even. Yeah. Oh, it was dumb. I shouldn't have done that. I should have had someone else, but uh, I love the book. Um, Thank you. You know, even right off the bat, you had this fairly extensive, but beautiful dedication to your parents. And, uh, I thought that was awesome. I just really, I also dedicated my book to my parents. I know Aww. how much, how much, uh, you know, how much when you reflect and really start to uh, tell vulnerable stories from, from your life, it's so tied to family. It's so tied to parenting. And, and you know, as a, as a, I, I'm a parent of six kids. Parenting is very important to me, but listening to your story sort of drove it home that, you know, no matter no matter what we do to try to prepare our kids for uh, for life and the challenges of life, there's only so much we can do. Yeah. And uh, and and you you made that clear by but still honoring them so so much. So, oh, thank so you. You know what? Awesome. I think you're actually the first person to comment on my dedication. Um, I I yeah. You know, I that that actually meant a lot to me. Um, man, every gray hair on my mom's head and every hair that left my dad's head. I take credit for that. <laughs> the least no. I could do is give him an acknowledgement. <laughs> hey, you no. guys, thanks. <laughs> and and that's the thing, right? We it's Parenting is tough. So reflecting on that, that was key. So I love that. Um, you, you, you tell some, you know, some challenging tales from, from your early life. You know, you were picked on. You didn't have friends. You had ADHD, your early life was actually emotionally difficult. Um, mm -hmm. And something that stood out to me was you, you talked about going to therapy as a young woman. Um, mm -hmm. what, what led to, was it your own choosing to do that or was it someone that like really recommended it or kind of brought you like, tell, tell, tell me the story of choosing no, to do that. No, I didn't really have a choice to sign up for therapy when I was younger. Um, it was just like, you're upset about things. Um, we're going to stick you in therapy. You're an angsty teenager. There must be something wrong with you. We're going to stick you in therapy. And then once I got there, I was like, oh, all right. It's actually pretty cool. I get to talk about me for a little bit instead of, you know, having to just do what I'm told. I, I get to sort out whatever's in my head and, uh, yeah, it's nice. You know, it's, it's funny all these years later, I always get with my therapist, right? And I'm just so deeply ingrained to like inquire about other people. I'm always like, you know, how are you? How was your weekend? And she's training me. Her answers are very curt and clipped. She's like, I'm fine, Laura. Let's talk about you. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're here to talk about me. I'm not paying you to talk about you. Okay. <laughs> That's kind of awesome. Yeah. I feel like I should use that like uh, around here, around the office, just like, okay, enough about me. Um, yeah. But yeah, so so you, you, you know, 
I don't know a lot about, you know, you don't talk a lot in the book about your 19 years of building your company is vision advertising, right? Yes, it is. You don't talk a lot about that, but I would love to dig in a little bit about that. I, you know, there must've been, there must've been some hairy moments. Like, um, I know as an entrepreneur, (laughs) you know, I tell me when I, when I ask you to think up some challenging battle stories, what comes to your mind from, from 19 years of building a successful business? This is a short format show. Uh, um, <laughs> oh my God. I'm trying to think of like which ones not to include. I mean, shoot, I can't tell you about the times when I was like really aggressively sexually harassed. Wow. I only made it, I only got the sales appointment because the dude wanted to hit on me. Um, you know, I was mistreated by older women or women in the business environment. Um, I left a lot of money on the table because I didn't know how to negotiate. I didn't capitalize on momentum and, you know, I, sometimes I got comfortable. I mean, God, if you would think of a stupid thing I could have done, I'm probably likely to have done it. Um, that's the thing. Entrepreneurship is the job that you learn on the job. You don't learn it from a book really effectively. You can, you know, hear about things kind of like in the abstract and you get a lot of people who are like, you should coach with me so I can tell you about it in the third person. And then maybe you'll know it's like, "Mm, no, this is trial by fire. Hop in. Um, so my God, I mean, I experienced more bullying, more, uh, aggravation, like constantly having my integrity called into question because A, I was doing sales, B, I was young, C, I was selling marketing. So I had the trifecta of reasons for people not to trust me. And yet it's like, Hey, wait, time out. Integrity is my core value. I'm very good at what I do. I'm here to help, not here to steal from you. So of all the things actually over uh, all the years, having my integrity called into question is the thing that probably burnt me out the fastest. That's hard. Because That's it's really my core hard. value. Like, I don't lie to people. I mean, so much so that my clients will tell you, oh, my Lord, working with Laura is it's wonderful, but sometimes it's brutal. It's like, as it should be. Like, you should have a coach that terrifies you a little bit. Someone who will actually tell you the truth, call you out on your crap, and when you're lying to yourself, doesn't let you do it. I mean, truth is my jam. That's, that's my thing. So, yeah. yeah, to have that constantly called into question, a little exhausting. Yeah, I could see that, and I... I, uh, we've been through that too. So I, I can empathize with that. You know, you, I think I'm a paraphrasing, but you said something in the book, like, you know, getting numb to failure is necessary for quantum leaps. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you talking about that 19 years of challenges or whatever makes me think of that. Do you think it's, do you think it's, um, do you think that's the only way to make meaningful progress is to go through these challenges that we're, we're talking about? Perhaps. I think that some people just have a lot more education when they're younger. Maybe um, their parents um, are business owners and when they're 10 years old, they're watching mom and dad do it before it's really important for them to do it. So maybe they get to learn by observation in ways that I didn't. So I think at the end of the day, we really need to learn somehow. Uh, Some of us are really good at watching. Others of us are very stubborn, like myself, and you need to learn the hard way. Um, But 
there is a certain uh, stillness that's required of you that if you weren't born with it, you better come up with it. Um, I had to come up with mine because I'm a naturally excitable person, but now I'm not. Um, well, I'm probably still naturally excitable, but I'm just so good at just being like, hey, inner self, shut up. You do mm -hmm. not drive the bus. The rational person does. Like, I'm pretty nonplussed about most things. Um, I wrote this uh, Facebook post earlier, just in this, uh, this women's group that I'm in. Um, I really don't get rattled easily now. Um, I save my aggravation and stress for the garden. Like, that's it. Like, you know, other people are around me freaking out and like, oh my God, the building's on fire. Mm -hmm. Exit to the left, please. Like it just, I don't know. I, I think you have to learn stillness. You have to learn, um, a certain amount of non-reactivity to things. Uh, for me, I just, I came about it through just doing things so many times that it's just like the novelty of fear, the novelty of terror, the novelty of, problems like all of these things they just they don't really phase me like I'm getting a third company off the ground now and my husband and I are dealing with he's my business partner um and we're dealing with um things that are very new to both of us but also I'm pretty chill about everything I'm just like okay you know like we're not gonna go after you know tiny little sales because that is opportunity cost and that's a that's a something you don't tend to arrive at till you're much more mature you know like you know the insurance quote is like 10 g's just to like even put a pinky toe in the pool it's like whoa you know pretty uh, not upset about that either i mean it, i don't know like stoicism is probably one of the most useful things you're going to have when it comes to business and um yeah some of it is definitely a uh, trial by fire on that one I agree with the comment about stoicism, and I do think that the thicker, you know, you grow skin, mm -hmm. um, the the less likely you are to be rattled. How do you deal with um, sort of the corresponding byproduct, which is somewhat starting to potentially lose spark or lose interest? Like, to me, it feels like it could be, they could be parallel, like, yeah, I'm not as easily rattled, but I might not have as much fire in me. Do you feel that or do you do you have, you know, action steps that you take to keep yourself from losing spark? Um this is going to sound incredibly negative and weird, but I don't think you necessarily need a lot of spark. You need to be able to believe in something enough to do it and enjoy the activity itself to a degree. Um, I mean, I've had people working for me over the years and they're like, Oh, I don't love marketing. You don't need to love marketing. You just need to tolerate it. Like at the end of the day, who really, who cares what you're doing? As long as you know, you, like you kind of get to do it in a way that actually serves you. So like the, the thing itself doesn't need to be really captivating. It's like who I do it with, why I do it. That's more important to me than like the what I guess. So, um, I don't know. I like business. That's the thing that I love. And the, that to me is the way I get to do something. So my husband and I's uh, company, this is my third company. Um, we manufacture and sell ammunition and, um, that's awesome. yeah. And he's former military and that's like his jam and that's all the things he's interested in. And had you partnered I, before? Is this the first time partnering? Uh, we worked together at Vision Advertising when uh, we first got together. Um, we kind of fell in love when we were um, just kind of working side by side. And um, it's like, well, turns out 
you're a terrible fit for the marketing company, but you're a great fit for me. So that's I'm going to cool. keep you. Yeah. So that, you can get promoted really to the ultimate rank. <laughs> um, yeah, we just really wanted to work together. So, you know, now my core motivation is I just, I love business. I love relationships and I love my husband and I really deeply um, believe in constitutional sovereignty. So um, being able to put all of those things together, I mean, I could be a canon manufacturer as well, and I would probably be equally satisfied. It's not necessarily, I mean, if you, if you ever meet a Canon manufacturer, call me. I don't even know if they still make them anymore. Um, Replicas, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, but no, that, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. You're saying, listen, cho choose to do something and then do it and do it principally, principally and enjoy mm -hmm. that. Enjoy, yeah. enjoy the ride. Yeah, yeah, like I, I totally enjoy like the company and man, I meet some awesome people doing all kinds of different business. So like with the marketing thing, I meet really awesome people that like tickles one part of my brain because I love solving problems, you know, for my clients in uh, all that I do with my consulting in and around the six habits. Um, I get to work with entrepreneurs who really let me into their heart and mind. And that is so important to me because I love a deep substantive conversation of like actual merit and value and to mm. be trusted into such a like scary vulnerable place is like huge. And then, you know, the, the, the constitutional sovereignty stuff. I mean, really like sovereignty is like kind of like my main theme throughout my life, financial, emotional, and constitutional. And I really get to do all of it and have great conversations with amazing humans. It's great. I, I love it. it. It def I, I had it in my list of questions for, to ask you to, to define sovereignty for us. Oh, sure. So I'm glad you asked. So a lot of people define sovereignty as like, oh, you're, you're a completely independent. No, uh, that's, you know, that's like a definition. That's more of you are a country, not so much a person. Uh, if I eat too much, I might look like a country, but I am definitely just one person. And the way we look at sovereignty at the company and also I individually is it's comprised of four things. It's freedom to be, have, do whatever you want. It's also freedom from all the stuff you don't want. But there's two other parts of this that almost everybody forgets. And it is kind of my... Uh, little sub mission in the world to get people to not only understand these two other things, but also to be ready and capable and prepared to handle these two things. And they are responsibility to other people and other circumstances and, and your community and responsibility for others, not just your family, but the people around you. And so like when we make a choice. So we're entrepreneurs, we understand this. I as a sovereign citizen and entrepreneur, I understand that when I make a choice to do whatever the hell I want, I will also be incurring all of the consequences for said choice and other people may as well, depending on what I choose. So I have a responsibility to make a good choice, um, not just for me, and I. it's not about selfishness, it's really about really honoring those around me. I have to be considerate of my husband, my neighbors, my, my parents, like whoever could be directly or indirectly affected. So there's a lot of weight to the decisions that we make. And I think that's probably one of the things that I find deeply distressing is while we do have God given sovereignty, constitution even says it, uh, 
few people are actually equipped to properly live a sovereign life. And that is deeply disturbing. Our education system has 100% built people to be subservient, obedient, and essentially just worker bees that are consumers. And that yeah. is such a disgrace. We are so I much more, agree more than that. And I, yeah. Well, I'm glad you do. And I, you know, this is kind of just like a personal irritant, especially over the last couple of years. I've just seen people really terrified to be accountable for their choices um, and wanting to outsource their decision-making, outsource um, their knowledge. And it's just like, mm, I would really like to see more people um, have a really good sense of self and really deeply believe in themselves, which is a lot of the stuff that I talk about in my book is like, let's set you up so you're solid. If you're solid, you don't question, oh, I can handle this. You don't outsource your thinking or your responsibility or abdicate. You don't do any of that stuff. You're like, nope, I'm a badass. Uh, I can do this. And even if I don't want to do this, I'm a freaking adult and I have to, and I can do, I, I'm just gonna handle it. Off we go. Like people need, I hate the word empowerment cause it's just been absolutely abused to the hilt, but like we need to fully give people more of their own power. Also, if I hear mm. that phrase, I love that you're standing in your power. <laughs> I'm like barfing all over the microphone. Like, come on, man. Like, yeah. People need their power restored to them that was given to them at birth and basically stripped away ever since they were born. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And you're like outpacing my question. Like I was going to get to these questions, which is awesome. Sorry, man. Did I ruin your interview? No, no. <laughs> heck no. No, I was going to I was going to ask you. I was going to say, you know, there's it seems like, uh, you know, especially in this time, you have a certain type of entrepreneur that is ready and willing to stand to talk about their principles and it doesn't matter if it's religion politics philosophy it doesn't matter and then there's another type that's just they're nervous that that's going to alienate and maybe offend the customer and i was going to say well you know where do you land on that but you've basically answered it for me you don't mind saying exactly what you believe which is great no and you know what i have clients who have completely opposing political beliefs than I do, and that's okay, right. you know, all over the place. My my whole staff at um, Vision Advertising, they all believe differently politically than I do. Fine, that's cool. Uh, as long as you're making an informed, sovereign choice, I'll always stand behind you. Um, I think that there is a lot of value in speaking loudly about what you feel because it attracts people to you. It also repels the wrong people. So that's good. It's an automatic sorting process. So you kind of pre-qualify people just by being yourself. Um, that's the thing. People are drawn to me because I am hundred percent me. Like they're, I'm not deluded. Like I'm, I'm the meest me, like super me. <laughs> I want my clients to be the same thing. Like, you know, why would you water yourself down? People don't even know what the hell they're getting. I mean, authenticity is so hard to find these days. But this is what happens when you actually master the six habits. You become so solid in who you are. You're like, why would I ever be anyone else? No way, man. I'm pretty exactly. great just the way I am. And I don't need to be someone else because I was made perfect and unique exactly who I am because the world apparently needed this. You're welcome. <laughs> I love it. I um, 
I identified deeply with your perspective on gratitude and, um, hmm. and especially writing lists of even the smallest things to mm -hmm. be grateful for. And, uh, I had never really heard of the idea of like not writing it twice, but uh, that's, that stood out to me, you know, just really leaning into that practice, but it's, it's absolutely changed my life. So I, I, I completely, uh, feel you on that. Awesome. Like, yeah, it's, you know, and I, I, I truly think that this is maybe one of the most important things that we could teach children and should teach children, because if mm -hmm. that, if you could make that a habit from the early stages, and I think it leads to a lot of the other stuff, like you talked about being present quite a bit, and mm -hmm. I've never found anything like a, as powerful as gratitude to make me present. Like it kind of brings yep. me to the moment. Yeah, it, it's uh, amazing. Each of the six habits actually, they connect with all of the other ones. It's one big jumbly mess in there. Um, you know, I pulled them apart just so you can actually read it. And it's got some sort of constructive linear narrative. But um, yeah, I mean, they all touch each other. And like the more grateful you are, uh, the easier it is for you to be present. Absolutely. And, you know, for anybody listening to this, I'm just going to say like gratitude through the way I'm expressing it is it's not just writing a list that's helpful. Um, and it's a place to start, but you write the list so you can transform your mind because it's just an exercise to get you there to where you can look at your life and just genuinely be grateful. It's not to list it out for you at the end of a crappy day, like the 10 things that went well that day. That's not the point. The point is very much, um, how, how can I look at this particular moment when I don't have my gratitude list in front of me and, and just have this be the lens through which I view my whole life? I think the quantity matters because I know with me, the longer I keep listing, the, the more, even if I'm getting down to the smaller things, it brings, it, it does exactly what you're saying. It just, it shapes my mind into just being able to go there very quickly and all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, no, I think I think that's awesome. But obviously it, it does get it does get easier over time. The more you like anything, the more you practice at it, the yep. the, the it's more the brain it's there. training. That's what yeah. it's, it's for, because that's the thing. It's like my book is not called the six nice things to know. It's the six habits. You know, these are things that you're supposed to automatically do. And how do you do it? It's by doing all this stuff not automatically with intention behind you, um, mm. you know, like the gratitude stuff and to really push yourself. So, um, I mean, shoot, like, can you imagine setting down and writing a list of 250 things that you're grateful for? You'd be like, Oh my God, I couldn't. Yes, you can. But the yes, thing is can. it will force you to sit and think and actually look around and like, once you get to like, probably like 125 and how do I know this? Cause I've done it. Once you get to like 125, you're like, crap, I'm like halfway there and I'm out of gas. Mm. It means you're not looking hard enough. Then you start to look at your body, the plumbing in your home. Who's grateful for plumbing? Hands up. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, um, go without it. Yeah. No, I'm not going in a hole in the woods. Go. Yeah. You go to Switzerland enough and you, you visit some of those roadside bathrooms. And I say that in air quotes, um, you'll appreciate indoor plumbing quite a bit, but, um, even like even hot showers, I'll tell you, we, we right? had the early times of, uh, having no money and going to the food pantry and just the kids are, they, they've been fed and we've been fed, but then that, that was the last of the dollars, you know, run out of oil. And then suddenly you don't have hot water and it's just like, 
you t- you it you come to that moment and then you you realize you took it for granted you know uh, absolutely so. well living in gratitude as your way of seeing the world and like actually being gratitude man that's a game changer hmm. do you ever use history or stories um to sort of do this same thing for you know as it relates to gratitude do you ever just kind of key in on other people's stories i don't know yeah usually for me it's like they have to be truthful stories you know i think about heroes of the past or whatever and i just say wow they went through that and i'm not going through that you know um sometimes um if i'm speaking to one of my clients and i happen to know their past Mm. That is definitely more impactful if I can speak to them about their life and then we can mm. actually unpack that moment and really teach the gratitude from within something they've gone through experientially. In your section about um, expectations, especially as it related to relationships, you warned against the illusion of being able to control someone, someone mm. else. What do you say to the person who feels even control over themselves is an illusion is this what leads to personal responsibility uh what an interesting question Hmm. i don't believe that control over ourselves is an illusion because we have control over what our bodies do what our minds do and the words that come out of our mouths um it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to control all of the thoughts that come in uh, and things that we receive, because there's a hell of a lot of input out there. I mean, even, even just looking at you, like I've got the screen, I've got my lamps, i got a painting above me, I've got the coffee. Like there's just input everywhere, not, not even to mention brands all around me, right? So we are not completely um, able to control every last nuance of our experience, but we can control how we react to every single thing in our experience. And most certainly we cannot control other people. Um, Sometimes we would very much like to because they're not doing what we want them to do or we don't understand what they're doing and we think maybe they're out to hurt us or there's trampling on a boundary that perhaps we haven't actually talked about. Um, But the more we have control over ourselves, the more we tend to be really lucid in the ways that we interact with things and we feel more uh, sovereign, to use the word, over our boundaries. Um, Mm. We don't allow people to treat us in a certain way and we don't even need to be jerks about it. It's like, no, thank you. That actually doesn't work for me. Um, So we can't control what they're doing, um, but we can control their access to us to do it. Um, So there's, there's a pivotal difference. Let's say that they still have access to us and they do something that would historically hurt us. Mm -hmm. Do you also teach people how to, you know, choose not to be offended? Like that offense is a a choice or do you feel like, eh, that's too far? Um, that's also very interesting. Um, I think... I think that's really nuanced. It's not something that I really get into in the book, but I think it really depends on the personality makeup of the person. So let's say um, you're incredibly sensitive and you're offended by every little thing. I'm probably going to want to work with you to help you to toughen up a little bit and maybe be offended over less things and let things roll off your back. 
But if you're somebody who's a lot less offended um, and something's offending you, it's probably a red flag that it's actually offensive um, mm. and that you need to do something about it. Remove yourself from the situation. Remove yourself from the relationship. Um, correct the person on their behavior or boot them from your life. Like, I think it really depends. I mean, my uh, former in-laws who I don't miss in the slightest, um, they were all very sensitive people, um, offended over anything. The wind blows in the wrong direction and they're offended. I'm like, okay, well that's actually not helping anybody. And, um, like I, I don't like tiptoeing through a minefield when I talk to you. It's it's for terrible. Real. So for me, my experience of going through that taught me I don't like my in-laws. Um, I want nothing to do with them. So I remove myself from that situation. Hey, you want to go to dinner at the fam's house? No, I don't. Have a nope. good time. Bring me back some potatoes. Like I'm good. I I don't know. I think it's a case by case because you do have people who are very sensitive. And then you have people who are not. Then you have people who are very sensitive and they think that they're not. Mm. And having a good therapist can actually help you to discover which bucket you're in. Um, and then, you know, you've got uh, also coaches that can help you with that. Um, yeah, you, you, and I mean the royal you, the, you know, the collective here you all have the opportunity to examine how tough you are mentally and being a delicate, fragile flower in our particular epoch of time in the civilization is dangerous. You're going to be poorer, sadder, fatter, and just more miserable. If you toughen up a little bit, you can largely ignore a lot of other people's crap. You can ignore the news. You can ignore social media and be like, meh, it doesn't matter. A lot of, again, a lot of the six habits stuff though, it actually helps you to get that mental toughness because, you know, if you take a look at the people who are, um, extremely sensitive to, you know, comments or this or that, um, they're just so fragile because they themselves are seeking so much external fulfillment and so much external validation Whereas if you were to fortify this person through a lot of the things that I teach, you're going to discover this person requires uh, very little external validation. So they're not offended as much over things. Um, they, they're still going to have their values and they're still going to be offended if someone like says something in, in contrast to their values. Um, like if you, for example, hate racism, which is a good thing to hate. Um you're not going to be less offended by racism once you work on yourself. You're still going to be offended. You just be might right. more, might be more articulate about it and perhaps less um, triggered. Rattled. Yeah. yeah, you'll you'll be probably a bit more graceful in your response to it. So it really depends on the subject, the person. There's a lot of different variables here, but um, yeah, and I, I guess it, it yeah. boils down to definitions too, because like I'm thinking about my relationship with my wife. I we have a wonderful relationship, and uh, but it you know it hasn't always been that way. We had to work at it, and one of the big things for us has been just really one of one of many things is just choosing to be offended or not. Like you 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 know people who are in good healthy relationships know it's like you you really got to pick your battles. Like you don't want to be battling all oh, the time. Yeah. Like, you know, so it's like, if you're going to be partners, then it's, you gotta, you gotta make it work. So it's like j just deciding to be offended or not. And then yeah. there's that word. What does offended mean? I think triggered is more, is a more appropriate word that you just yeah. use. So. I mean, I, I think that the better you feel about yourself, the less you're going to be triggered by someone else and you can just kind of dismiss it. And then you can also make better decisions about, 
you know, this person really gets under my skin. Do I want them around me or not? I mean, you know, mm. I'm, I, I'm not a person who offends easily or triggers easily just because of all the things I've seen and done in my life. It's like, eh, whatever. Um, there's still a short list that I will not be putting out there for publication um, of things that I find deeply offensive. Um, yeah. But, you know, uh, unfortunately, my husband has that list. So they, they, who knows the, what's the, on it. The partner, the significant other always has that list. Oh yeah. He totally has the list. My parents have the list too, because they're the ones that pre, you know, pre-installed half the programming. So, um, <laughs> they wrote you know, the list. Come right. On. But there's a, <laughs> quite, there's a yeah. lot of things that I think that we have an opportunity as husband and wife to just really be clear about. And I think, I mean, great example, first marriage versus this marriage. So I've had two mm. and I'm in the second one and this one's going to be the one. That's it. If, if this doesn't work out for some reason, I'll just be an old cat lady. I'm fine with it. But first marriage, if my ex-husband would say something to me and he offended me and, you know, he did something that was really bothersome to me, I would get extremely upset. I'd get very emotional and I would, yeah. you know, really just not show up with my best self. I wouldn't communicate. Yeah. Eventually I learned to communicate, but it was, it always came with so much emotional trauma on my part. And then bleh, getting that all over him, which just didn't help. Fast forward to this marriage where I'm very happy and this is a very healthy relationship. Um, my relationship with my husband is one where now I don't get ravel rattled despite his best efforts to push every single button in the elevator. Um, and I, I do mean he tries, <laughs> um, but you know, he'll, he'll get, uh, you know, he'll, he'll get so far and like, I'm just completely not reacting, you know, and I'll just be like, that's really offensive. We've talked about this. I don't like that, you know? Mm. And mm. Uh, he's learned to say the same thing to me. Like, wow, that's really rude. I really don't like the way you're speaking to me right now. Whoa, I just got schooled. I apologize, hubby, you know? So there's just a sense of maturity, a sense of stoicism, and a sense of, you know, just really a commitment to solving the problem and fixing the issue trying to f versus trying to fix my spouse because there's nothing mm. wrong with him. He's perfect just the way he is, as I am. Um, it's just like, wow, that doesn't work for me. Um, and just being able to say it without it being this big emotional blah. Like, nobody wants the mess. I don't want right. a mess. Stop right. getting your feelings all over me, right? <laughs> Testing the other guardrail for a second of that, of that thought is, do you believe that um, stoicism carried out to it to the nth degree can lead to apathy? Like I just don't care. Like could could a marriage or a relationship become cold? Like how do you how do you distinguish between? I I I think I know the answer, but I want to hear your answer um, of steps that someone can take to not be rattled, be able to speak truthfully but also not turn cold over time. Well, stoicism and apathy are not the same things. I, I think that there's a potential for overcorrection no matter what you do. Um, you can take stoicism too far, you can take caring too far, and you can smother someone with your big feelings. Like, you can, you can do both of these things, and it can just be really difficult on the other person. I find that, you know, if you take a look at the extremes, and let's call them one to a hundred, whatever the number one is, never, whatever number 100 is, they don't really matter. But you want to probably aim to spend most of your life in the 30 to 70 zone, in the middle, 
Like occasionally mm. you're going to go to the outer extremes, maybe on a few topics, you're going to find yourself in the outer extremes, but good God, no one wants to be around someone who lives at a one or lives at a hundred. You don't even want to be that person that lives that way because it's just right. exhausting. Like I actually, I know someone who's incredibly stoic who has overcorrected and who is very, very, very stoic. There is no joy in his life. None. Right. He's the most joyless, apathetic person I've ever met. And it depresses me just talking to him. Um, mm. And then I know other people who are the opposite. They, they care about everything and they'll, you know, they'll like cry at a commercial and it's like, okay, this dude has not enough emotions. This one has way too much. And it's actually exhausting for me to be around both of these people because mm. they're living in such extremes. I find, I find, I know, I know one of them very, very well. And uh, the one who's very, very emotional, I mean, she's tired. She's very tired from just feeling all of these things all the time. Um, and I, I can't say that my friend with the apathy uh, is tired. He doesn't care enough to be tired. Um, but I think that there's an, um, a huge lack of joy, you know? So if we can live in that whole 30 to 70 zone, you know, like I don't ever want to be so stoic with my husband that, um, there's no passion, right? We'll never have sex again. Screw that. Right. No way. Uh, you need passion and, and sometimes we will have a good knockdown drag out fight because same we're both Italian. That's kind of in the DNA, you know? So it's like pasta fighting in wine. It's like kind of our thing. Um, but like, I don't know, like I'm an alpha, he's an alpha. We don't lack for passion in our relationship. If anything, like we've had to work very, 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 very hard to be more even tempered. Mm. Um, to not fight as much, to not have. Well, yeah, but not to have such like impassioned reactions mm. because it's like, mm. I am really, really good about my boundaries that if you put one pinky toe, especially if I've warned you before, one pinky toe, not over the line, on the line, I'm going to rip it off. You know, like, it's like, I have no patience for this. We've talked about this. I don't need to warn you anymore. Just, I'm going to, you know, release the hounds. <laughs> if you like Mr. Burns, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, and he can be the same way. And we both have to be like, oh, I love this person. I would like to continue loving them an hour from now. Be a good person right now. It's right. okay. It's not the right. end of the Choose world. Choose your reaction. Yes. And yeah. we're not saving yeah. lives here. This is not the end of the marriage. Like, yeah. just breathe. <laughs> You used the word joy a few times a few minutes ago. My next question was, do you, do you distinguish between the two words, joy and happiness? Do you, do you see different definitions for those, those I two do. words? Uh, joy is more of a moment-to-moment. -moment. Happiness is more of a state of being. Joy you can experience, like, you know, at the birth of your child, uh, which you've experienced more than once. So that's cool. That's joy, but it doesn't last. Joy is like that transcended. It's like take happiness and put it on all the steroids that have ever steroided. That moment of, oh, it's like God is in the room. This is so great. That is joy, right? Yeah, like yeah. orgasms, that's joy. Uh, getting a promotion and doing a victory lap around the house, like this is joy. Happiness is more of a baseline state of being where it's your, it should be your constant. Um, doesn't mean you're going to stay there, but it's like, it's your average. You might get like a little sad, a little high, a little low, a little high, blah, blah, blah. But like the median line is it's 
mostly pointing to happiness and it's just like, yeah, I'm a happy person versus yeah, I'm just alive. That that Mm -hmm. apathy dude that I was just talking about, he's just fog in a mirror. You know, that's, that's not happy. A trap that I've seen quite a few people and have fell victim to myself in, in times past, especially is thinking maybe accidentally that happiness, that it's really, uh, tied to external factors like when x happens then i'm happy yeah a lot of people Um, do that as opposed to with with me there's so much action you can take daily that that does spark joy that that it feels much more controllable and then of course in the 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 net result of that those habits Mm -hmm. is is that constant state of of being that 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 long-term happiness um but but again that was all based on choice like what we do Mm -hmm. um what actions we take um i liked what you said about your vision board becoming so (laughs) (laughs) becoming so normalized that your brain already believes that the, the the contents to be true so I'm just talking about happiness and how some people think, oh, I got to go get this. I got to do that to become happy. But the truth is we also do have to like get after it in life, right? We do have, we do set these goals and, um, and you know, not, not necessarily look at it like then I'll be happy, but then, but, but, but the quest, the, 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 the conquering, um, that, that is the, the journey is, is so what, what is it that you, when you coach clients and do you find that they also have experienced what you've experienced, like normalizing the vision board becomes normalized and then you start to sort of bend in that direction and natural energy starts to bring those things about, or has that just been something that for you in your life? Uh, I think it depends per person. Um, you know, I mean, you have to understand my clients are, all different types. The only thing they have in common is they're all entrepreneurs, Mm. um, which is a very happy, not entirely coincidental thing. Um, I just really gravitate towards entrepreneurs and they gravitate toward me because there's something very unique about, um, the way we go about the world. So, um, it's a nice symbiosis, but Mm. yeah, I mean, you know, some people can quickly just onboard their ideas and put them into, uh, their worldview very quickly. And, uh, some people have a hard time, you know, it depends on how they onboard ideas, if they're visual or not. Um, you know, like in the book I talked about, like vision boarding one is like, you know, um, the experiential type or like you, let's say you want a Maserati. Um, you could put a picture of it on the board. You could get a symbol of it. Um, and get like a key keychain so you have something or you could actually go test drive a Maserati and be very pissed off that you don't have one and then go do something about it. It all depends on how you're actually motivated. So mm. in in the work that uh, that I do is when we touch on things like vision boards and uh, motivators, what we really have to do is get very, very clear on what you care about for real Uh, not what you think you care about and um, how uh, we're going to get you to want it so bad that you'll move heaven and earth to get it. You know, I remember working with a gentleman a couple of years ago who professed up and down, I got to make a million dollars. I got to make a million dollars. I got to make a million dollars only to be very quickly dissuaded. I actually don't care about money at all, which is why, you know, I've never cracked a hundred thousand in my life. 
it's like, okay, so you want to 20X your life um, and you don't even really want this. It's like, no, I really don't. I just perceive that that's what it takes to be happy. Ah, hmm. well, it's not. So let's just get very specific. What does it take for you, person, to be incredibly happy? Turns out for him, it was more time with his wife, more time with his children. Um, so autonomy over his time. Uh, and knowing that there is more money coming in than he needs for his bills. That makes yeah. him happy. And I was like, do you have any big long-term goals? He's like, yeah, I might like to have a cabin in the woods so I can, you know, write independently and I want to be a writer. And I was like, well, turns out cabins in the woods, depending on where they're located, can be pretty cheap, especially yeah. if they're kind of broken down and crummy looking. I mean, watch any horror film ever and, uh, you know, you can kind of see what they're made of. But like... There's no reason that you can't have those things. And I mean, shoot, you could just pimp out like a really nice like shed on your property if you're just looking for a quiet place to write. Like that's right. he's like, that's true. I'm like, your dreams are so much closer than you you think, but you keep making them grandiose when you don't even care about that stuff because you bought into all this socialized BS that society gives you. You can't be happy unless you are a millionaire. You can't be yeah. happy if you're 50 pounds overweight. You can't be happy unless you buy my wrinkle cream. Like, ah, wrong. You can be happy right now, and chances are the things you deeply desire are probably inches from you. Yeah, they're not far. And, and you, you know, if, if anybody takes your advice and does the top five list that you, that you outline in the book, like the things that you should spend your time on in the day, and I can, I'm, I'm living proof that, you know, prioritizing like that, we, you know, it makes those things within reach. And once you, once you check off a few really big dreams, mm -hmm. then you realize that you had this idea that it was really far away, but it really wasn't. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we lie to ourselves all the time and, you know, we give ourselves, um, you know, a lot of, um, basically grief, um, over what we want. You know, we make mm. it so much harder because, Honestly, we just read all these books and get sucked into all this BS. I mean, you know, I told you I'm part of this women's group, but you have all these accomplished women on there whose marketing consists of, are you make, are you doing five figure months? You know, are you this and are you that? And when you're ready to level up your game and step into your power and all these gross phrases that make me want to puke, um, it just makes people feel bad. You know, like the, the conversation I want to have with people is like, have what you want, pursue what you want, but make sure you actually want it. And why don't you find joy right where you are? Like yeah. I live a very nice middle-class life. I'm absolutely a wealthy person, but I'm wealthy in a lot of things beyond money. The thing I have that I love the most is my time because right. that matters to me more than stuff, right? I want to be with the people I love. I travel a lot. I experiences. Spend yeah. Absolutely. Like I want a rich life that makes me put my phone down because it's so fun. Like, you know, I go out, like I, I moved to Florida a year and a half ago and I really, really wanted a beautiful backyard that was very private that I could turn into a food forest because I've always wanted one. And I'm from Massachusetts. That's very cold and you can't have a food forest period full stop. So guess what I do when I'm outside I have I fun playing in the dirt and I plant things and I get really curious about genus and species and all these interesting things. And it's wonderful. And like, I just got to harvest a whole bunch of mulberries off my tree and I'm, I'm having a wonderful time watching my guavas grow and like deciding where I'm going to put my avocado tree. And it's just, 
it's exhilarating to have something I love. And despite the fact that uh, really large plants are expensive as hell, um, you know, I don't have to spend on those. Like I have lots of things from seed and I know how to seed things. Guess what? Gardening is free. I, I compost too. turned into a composting nerd. Like this brings me a lot of happiness, right? And a lot of joy, you know, right. like yeah. I go outside and I see something like with a flower on it. I'm going to get a fruit. Oh my God. And I call my husband. How Come look. He comes running out of the house. He's like, is it a frog? No. Is it a lizard? No, it's a plant. Wow. <laughs> I mean, like, I have reached, like, peak middle age, right? Like, there's a joke about, like, when you reach middle age, you have, like, a favorite spatula. I do. And, um, but, like, that's the thing. It's like, I don't need a millionaire to have fun playing in the dirt. In fact, quite the opposite. I just need to love being outside and I need time. So I work really hard to make sure that my time is my own so I can spend it on the things that fill me with love. And, you know, my best friend comes to visit me. I'm going to go visit my family and go to Maui in a couple of months. Like I, I'm all over the place. And that's more fun to me than exchanging my life for dollars. Yes, for real. Yeah, I feel you on that. And if you're trying to make me jealous talking about all those fruit, it's definitely working. I mean, I left Massachusetts. But we have our gardens too. We we like we love our gardens for what they are. It's just so seasonal. Like I, I know. I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're in Florida because I was like nervous for a second that you might be getting up a little early in Maui to do this. Uh, no, do this podcast, I love living in Maui. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, we uh, just wanted to be in Florida, and it was just yeah. a really great time. I listen. I left Massachusetts, but I still love Massachusetts. So you ask me like my favorite states in the country, and Massachusetts is still in the top three. Um, yeah. incredible Same for food, me. very smart people. Um, the fashion leaves a lot to be desired. It's very depressing. Um, a lot of gray, a lot of brown, yeah. a lot of black, a lot of ivory, white. Um, we can't get too excited up here. Okay. We got to be realists, you know, yeah. prepare for the winter, even when you're in the summer. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I, mm, I, there's so many things I could say that would make a lot of people hate me real quick. I'm just going <laughs> to not, um, <laughs> As we, as we wrap this up, uh, you said in the book um, that you're not really a religious person, um, but I noticed a few times throughout it that you'll mention God or a higher power. Um, mm-hmm. Have you ever had those, those feelings where you were tempted to think in that, in that moment, like a really special moment, that it, was, that it was spiritual or that it was something that was not necessarily just an earthly... Uh, reaction or experience well i didn't say it wasn't spiritual i said i'm not religious and i think there's a profound difference um i don't really i mean this could change but i really don't care for church or of any type synagogue temple whatever none of it none of it really works i don't enjoy the formality of these things and i also question how true they are doesn't mean this is other people's experience and I really respect how other people feel. I mean, I'm, most of my friends are like deeply religious people. Um, I just happen to be more spiritual myself, but I think my, my own personal views on spirituality is that we are all one. And, uh, if I experience something great, then it is, something that is from universe slash God slash me slash you. It's all of it. So I should celebrate it. And there's no reason I can't be grateful to the rest of me. 
which would be universe, God, you, for it to happen. So it's, yes, it's an earthly thing. Um, yes, I can take credit for it, but I can also share credit. Like I believe that, I mean, like if, honestly, one of the best examples or reasons why I believe this is, do you remember seventh grade science class and when we were learning about kinetic energy? Energy does not cease to exist. It just moves on, right? right? right. So we... I personally do not believe that we cease to exist when we die. I think we return to the collective and I've had mm. spiritual experiences where, um, I've experienced the download, if you will, of the wisdom that we as humans are all part of the whole. And we are here to have the experience of senses and emotions, which are things that are not part of the celestial experience of the being and the oneness. Um, mm. The richness of the human experience is the sorrow, it's the sadness, it's the happiness, it's the joy, it's the giving birth to your children, it's welcoming other little star seeds, if you will. It's, it's all of these different things that lend um, texture and value and meaning and richness to the spiritual experience because you have something to it. So we're actually here to learn. We're hmm. here to experience, even if we show up and we have a horrible life and we're born into a body that doesn't function properly, that still is part of the collective experience of the whole that we all add to. I don't know the beginning point for humanity, nor do I know the end of it, but, um, yeah. So Who does. Yeah, exactly. A lot of us have really strong theories. This is simply mine and it feels accurate to me. Um, and also not that divergent from people who have a lot of deep, um, religious affiliations. You know, a lot of it is kind of, you know, maybe like, you know, different trains on different tracks, but they're all going in the same direction. It's like, you know, I, I very much believe there was a before life. There is an afterlife. I think it's more of like a circle where it's like, you know, we're mm. kind of coming and going and, um, all of that. And there's a lot of spiritual folks who feel the way I do. A lot of religious folks who would probably want to um, hang me from a tree for saying that. So, <laughs> well, thank you for your perspectives and and for getting, <laughs> getting deep on that for, with me for a second. You're and welcome. And thank you for writing this great book. Like, uh, I recommend. Uh, a nice thing to say. Our our listeners, our readers, uh, or our watchers, I should say, read this book. It's helpful. Um, thank you for releasing it into the world and, and giving your perspectives. What are you up to now? So you said you are still taking on coaching clients, but you're also working mm -hmm. this ammunition company with your partner husband. How is that going? Mm -hmm. uh, it's good. I mean, it's brand new. We just got our federal firearms license like a hot minute nice. ago. So um, we're sparkly new. If you need freedom seeds, call me. But um, yeah, you know, I, I work with a very small handful of coaching clients. I really can't give my energy to um, more than just a few. I have room, I think, right now for like one or two, and that's about it. Um, otherwise, I'm completely at capacity. I still help with the marketing company here and there. And um, yeah, the ammo company is currently taking up a load of my time. You should see my calendar for this week. It's intense. But I'm a person who deeply loves variety, and I love people. So this gives me the opportunity to play in all of the arenas. So, um, yeah, there's, 
I, I mean, and of course, because I can't sit still, apparently I'm also working on launching my podcast and um, writing another book. But we're still in the index cards phase where every time I have a, whoa, that's a genius idea. That's got to go in there. Quick, grab an index card, write it down, stuff it in the pocket of my notebook. I'll get to Outlining you in Outlining is key. That's how you get the good stuff. The outline is super, super important. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah I did sweet. the index card thing with the six habits. Apparently it worked. It does. <laughs> you know, stories need structure. We talk, we, we teach about, about story structure and. And you know the, your your favorite films, your favorite books, they they have structure. As much as they may feel like they don't, they they certainly do. So, and your your structure was great. So wonderful thank job. You. And as a staunch libertarian, I thank you for your commitment to freedom and and sovereignty as well. Uh, this this is something that's near and dear to to our heart here. So. You're a staunch libertarian. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Dude, we can hang out. Yeah. For all those watching and listening who does not know what a libertarian is, it is the party of leave me alone and I will leave you alone. Kumbaya. That's, right. That's what that That's is. Right. That's right. right. Freedom. Yep. Individual liberty, freedom. That's this is the 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 bedrock upon which a happy life can be can be formed. So. Oh, I must have rung um, all the bells for you when I started talking about sovereignty, huh? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's awesome. I'll show you some of our films and our stories, like the clients that we serve. It's like pretty much just, I shouldn't say just in that camp, but very much pushing that, uh, that message forward, you know, the message of freedom and, and responsibility, you know, nice. personal I was responsibility. Honored to be, uh, flown out to Utah to participate in two documentaries. One was about happiness, easy layup. And then the other one was about more touchy subjects. So. We can talk about that another time, but I, I was love very it. excited. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I well, was like, what, what do I say in this, in this documentary without setting my life on fire? <laughs> Seriously. I mean, it, it is really true. Like choosing what you say is important. And yet we have to be able to have the, uh, you know, nerve gall, you know, to carry principles forward and say it, you know, mm -hmm. you said truth, that's your jam. So there it you is. Go. And my husband, I, I admire him because he uses humor to express his truth and he's so much better at it than myself. I'll art. labor over something and it'll just, it'll just come to him. Oh. And, um, yeah, he just updated his LinkedIn profile today and he put his pronouns in there and everything. And his profile is amazing. I love it. It brings me joy. Yep. I love it. Awesome. <laughs> it's just him being him. And I'm like, I love all that you are. <laughs> you are funny in ways I am not. Those that can leverage comedy like that is just, it's just so disarming. I'm so jealous of that. Like I'm a writer and I can go back and write the jokes if I pour over them and really think through it. But in the really? moment, forget it. That's not me. Oh yeah. I can. He, his profile I can, I can, consists of two words. Ammo dude. I love it. And I'm like, ah, I wish I could be you for like five minutes because like you make the hard very easy. He's like, I don't want to do this LinkedIn crap. Okay, but honey, you know, you kind of own a company. You probably should because, you know, yeah. we're hiring people and blah, blah, blah. He's like, fine, goes in. Ammo, dude. I'm like, you ain't wrong. So <laughs> <laughs> you are, in fact, an ammo, dude. Okay. I love it. Well, let's end this podcast so I can ask you how to get 1,000 rounds of 9 mil and 2,000 rounds of 5.56. That would be, nice. be awesome. Let's look. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate you being on. Thanks. All right. Until next time. Thank you.